millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Eleanor from Reading and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, if you could invite someone from history onto the podcast, who would it be and what would you ask them? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Oh, hello. And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from. We are talking everything from Eleanor from Reading's question. If you could ask someone from history onto the podcast, who would it be and what would you ask them? It's a good question. It's a good, you know what? Really, really uh, good question. Mm, yeah, it's tough. Uh, Jesus, probably quite high up on my list. And yeah. um, what's the beef? Would probably just be my, <laughs> I keep beef? it broad. I mean, he's got good beef. He's got serious <laughs> beef. Oh, watch me die. Yeah. <laughs> and I died for you. But yeah, I, I, I think um, as cliche and expected answer would be, it would be a, uh, a Malcolm X Martin Luther King type. And yeah. then, and what it would be, would be, what is your uh, manifesto for the next 20, 30 years? Oh, man. Or just, yeah. what do you think about now? Well, I think like, I know what they think about now. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I'd be like, what would you have done? Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. Just to find out. But I mean, yeah, yeah, there's so many people, but I think that would be the first question. But then at the same time, I always say like, I probably want to meet like an, a, an ancestor or a distant relative and kind of yeah, be like, I remember you saying no, that. what was it like? How's things going? But I think, yeah. There's some good answers now. for Eleanor. And thank you very much for your questions. Send us your questions in, guys. And suffice to say, on this show, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave? Absolutely. No question is too historic, too contemporary, and too futuristic. Any question you'd like. And if you do like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or you can subscribe to us on ACAST, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can hear all of the very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show, our guest is a British actor, writer, director and producer. He's one of the creators and stars of the BAFTA award-winning BBC comedy show The Revolution Will Be Televised. He co-created the ITV2 show Don't Hate the Players and he also created the comedy show Revolting which produced one of the most controversial sketches of all time The Real Housewives of ISIS and he has been a long-time friend and previous guest on the show. It is a pleasure to have him back. Please welcome the anarchic Jolian Rubenstein. I'm anarchic. Yeah, I'm into it. It's, it's, it's good to be. It's good to be. It's, how nice is it to be in the same room? I, I can see really you. Nice. Can, it's you not a screen, it. guys. It's great. This is, listeners, I can't describe the joy I've got, and obviously this <laughs> episode probably won't fill us full of joy given the times we live in. That, but it's but at the same time, a a, a a a misfortune shared is a misfortune spared, so we can all commiserate together. Hmm. Um, it Hell is great yeah. to have you back, Julian. Oh man, it's so good to be back with a I mean, newer, a newer, more correct pronunciation of your. Name. <laughs> Listen, nice. if you're called Jollyan, it's just like, you know, it's just the pain of daily life. Yeah. But my God, I mean, last time we spoke, we were deep in the middle of the pandemic. July right? 2020 is when I found it out. It was, wow. Yeah. That, oh my goodness. So that's my, like, I mean, my, my sort of ability to sort of track time and when things were has been completely kaput since the pandemic. Yeah. I can't place things in the same way. Mate, I had a baby. Try that. No way. Congratulations. He's nearly two. That says everything about how fucked up time is. Yeah, Yeah, man. That's wild. Howard Howard raised a pandemic baby. Man, I had a friend friend of mine who literally, I heard that she was pregnant, but I never saw her pregnant. She just suddenly had a baby. And he's like, you know, that is, that's not cool, man. You know, you want to see, especially, this is a close friend of mine. We've missed a lot. You want to see sort of going through those, those, those seismic life changes. We've missed a lot. Uh, on that basis, uh, Jolion, is there anybody from history in particular you'd like to mm. speak to? And what would you ask them? Do you know what? That's a, that's a really interesting question. And I've been thinking um, a lot recently about um, uh, one of one of my sort of bizarre ideas that I had in the middle of the lockdown was to try to um, turn George Orwell's life into a limited series. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'd be really fascinated to know his take on, you know, the current... Um, 
absolute fucking clusterfuck of a reality. Yeah. Particularly um, because in the research that I was doing, um, I came across an essay called The Lion and the Unicorn, mm -hmm. which is basically an essay he wrote uh, just at the, really the beginning of World War II, where he tried to um, explain what it was for people um, who, you know, generally would see themselves as pacifists and yeah. certainly anti-war to get behind um, a national effort to fight fascism. And, you know, with the current situation at the moment, I think that, you know, that, that re the relevancy of that is, mm, is, no. is pretty, is pretty stark. I mean, the, all the times right now are super Orwellian. So I imagine that that conversation would begin with him saying, I'm not one to say I told you so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I literally called wrote the book about this. <laughs> I called it. Yeah, I literally wrote the book on this stuff. It's so true. So, but no, it'd be, it'd be great to kind of pick his brain. Um, oh. Do you know, on the, on the subject of the uh, lion and unicorn, mm. that's, is that, the, that's the quest for, is that the royal crest? I think it is. It's definitely kind of, yeah, I think it's I part, think it's the royal part of it. Because you've mm -hmm. got the portcullis and then the lion and the unicorn on either side. And yeah. I say that because I, 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 I say a, a, an acquaintance of mine yeah. um, who I imagine might be bordering towards anti-vaxxer. But nonetheless, oh, wow. he uh, said that, you know, it's interesting because that's the um, seal because obviously a unicorn is a yeah. mythical creature. And obviously a lion not being native to the UK, but obviously the lion heart, et cetera. But he's kind of like, you know, it shows you just how how prepared we are to go along with yeah. um, mythology rather yeah. than reality yeah. as yeah. it appears on there. So, yeah, Very interesting. interesting. Uh, it's probably time for a question as the format of this show dictates, which, you know, the format is always there to be broken, Dane, as we know. Absolutely. And uh, we know uh, as you... Uh, as you directly described Jolyon as being anarchic, we um, always invite him to not only be one of yeah. our uh, more uh, treasured guests on the podcast, but also um, having the uh, privilege and the scope to subvert the normal format. Yeah, well, it's, um, a, it's a big question, isn't it? Yeah. And, and the question is quite simply, is this World War Three? Yeah. You know, it's an uplifting one this yeah. week. It's an uplifting one. Um, do you know what? I'm trying to find this... Uh, this quote from The Lion and the Unicorn, because mm. there's a couple of things that I think, um, before we talk about um, the geopolitical realities, what's taking place in Ukraine, um, the realities of uh, the, the, the Russian position, mm -hmm. you know, which is that they are purging a country with the Jewish president of neo-Nazis, in their own words. Um, there's some reflection I want to do on, on our character um, as, you know, as as Brits, I guess. Well, I mean, the, Orwell, the Orwellian reference that you made at the start of the podcast is a good way to kind of be the jumping off point because when we see these potential uh, battle lines being drawn where... Uh, the idea of having belligerence in a world war is concerned. They mm -hmm. do seem to kind of parallel the uh, superpowers that were described in the uh, book 1984 yeah. and the kind of book within the book, which was the theories on oligarchical collectivism yeah. that the protagonist reads, which basically describes an, an alliance or a, a, a Russo-Sino alliance between China and Russia mm. against the, uh, well, what would be the equivalent of NATO and this, uh, yeah, because we're airstrip one, aren't yeah, we? that's, pretty much. That's and we're not too far what off. We are. And it's uh, yeah. three blocks continuously at war, yeah. Um, you know, with no one really having a clue what's going on, no one winning and, 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 and denying it, and the, and the war effort providing justification for ongoing poverty, which we refer to as austerity, I would say, yeah. Um, and despite the fact that we are plunging further or regressing further into economic turmoil, mm. uh, we are seeing an increase in the proliferation of uh, the uh, military industrial complex, mm. which is just like I said in the book. Do you know what? It's so wild talking about that um, idea of the the military-industrial complex, because I have two friends right now who are on the ground in Kiev mm -hmm. uh, reporting from the war. One is a guy called Oz Katerji. Mm -hmm. He's quite a young, mm -hmm. um, uh, up-and-coming sort of war, war reporter. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other is John Sweeney, who is a much older, um, much more sort of seasoned sort of veteran. And they're both um, sort of tenacious uh, seekers of the truth and you know that i'd say they were nothing but critical of, of the current government mm. but something that's been a real shock to them is that actually right now in kiev and and the surrounding area boris johnson is incredibly popular with those people because we supplied the javelin anti-tank missiles mm. which have sort of to some extent at the time of recording halted the um to some of the russian advance mm. 
And apparently, even when they're firing off these javelins, they're like, God save the queen! <laughs> you know, which is the irony of it is, yeah. is so bizarre. Because obviously, you know, again, at the time of recording, we've only let in 700 refugees at a time where over 2 million people displaced, have been yeah. off on the march. And, you know, a country that's half our size, Moldova, um, you know, has taken in upwards of 250,000. Um, and it, it really struck me, um, and the reason I want to, read you this quote is because I think that what this is bringing up is the true nature of how we in Britain look at ourselves, mm. how we view ourselves. Because let's be clear about this. We are a country that is uh, the absolute hub of dirty money, Yes. In, in the world. Yes, absolutely. Right? Uh, to not understand that is to not really understand um, who our, uh, our greatest partners are. Yeah. And, and, it, and it causes huge problems. So at the time of recording, you know, there's a big conversation going on about the best way to hurt Russia is to stop being reliant on Russian gas. Uh, and and uh, the problem with this is that if you stop taking Russian gas, which sounds great, the person you go to next to get the gas is Saudi Arabia. Mm. And Saudi Arabia, apart from being a country that until very recently wouldn't let women drive on their own, you know, regularly beheads people, and I'm not going to even go into Khashoggi, and, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, is, is also uh, involved and has been for, you know, nigh on 10 years in the complete decimation of Yemen, yeah. um, often with British armaments, that we have used. So I finally found the quote now. Hmm. And this is, this is um, I, I love this quote. And for me, it's, it, it somehow just, it, 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 it sums it all up. And, and I'll read it to you. So, England is not the jeweled isle of Shakespeare's much quoted passages, nor is, is it the inferno depicted by Dr. Goebbels. More than either, it resembles a family a rather stuffy Victorian family with not many black sheep in it, but with all its cupboards bursting with skeletons. It has rich relations that have to be kowtowed to and poor relations who are horribly sat upon. And there is a deep conspiracy of silence about where the, about the source of the family income. It is a family in which the young are generally thwarted and most of the power is in the hands of irresponsible uncles and bedridden aunts. Still, it is a family. It has a private language and its common memories. And as the approach of an enemy, it closes ranks. A family with the wrong members in control, that perhaps is near as one can come to describing England in a phrase. Hmm. Yeah. Amazing. It, isn't it? Because yeah. it sort of, it speaks to that nature of the way I think that we view ourselves, um, which is as a, a, a kind, benevolent caring people. I think mm, that yeah. generally is most British people's uh, assumption, not just about how our national culture mostly pervaded through, oh, I guess in a way sort of almost crystallised in David Attenborough's voice. Yes. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, that benevolent grandfather yes. that, that we all we, we all gain. Mm. Um, but also it, 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 we're a country that seems to be completely at odds with itself. So, for instance, you would ask, uh, you know, as this recent thing with Kurt Zuma and the cat would show, we're a nation of country uh, lovers, nature lovers, animal lovers. Mm, yeah. And yet, we live in the second most denatured country in the world, mm. right? And the perception and the reality is becoming more and more stark, I think. And I think that this conflict is exacerbating that and making people ask questions because, because they're terrified. Well, and, and that te being terrified is such an interesting element to the whole scenario we now mm. face because I think one of the most surprising elements of this past... How long has this been going on? A few weeks now, it feels like. I mean, it's it's over bit, two weeks. Yeah, right? two weeks, but it depends who you ask. Because, yeah. but I was about some to say, people would argue in terms of with the Crimea conflict and, yeah. in did, did, 2014. Why so, anyone's yeah. been surprised? Because like what you just said, the last however many years, this is this has just been what we've been edging towards. And, and, and you know, you'll hear people comment on what's going on. They're not bad people. Some sure. of them I might be related to. Not bad people. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're showing she'll talk about your mum on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's messed up. You know she'll listen, Howard. Yeah, she's going to listen. I told you, my mum said that she would would happily pay the petrol prices if they stopped fighting, which is the <laughs> nicest thing that anyone <laughs> sums up my mother. But the thing that I'm getting at by bringing this is people are, people are scared and are worried, and, they, and, and yet that isn't 
necessarily helping them pose the important questions at a time when absolutely we are uncertain. And I've never felt more better time to tell people to go and watch hypernormalization yeah. by Adam Curtis because it you know like Orwell he was just p- pointing this out Putin's a man of fucking miscommunication of yeah. misinformation of conf- there's no strategy to, uh, for, for most of the time he's trying to destabilize yeah. everyone else and he's fucking doing a, he's done a really fucking good job I think there's two things that's, that's that the just, background on that as well you know yeah, this guy should, is former should. KGB so yeah, yeah, yeah. you know he's been put in a position which came about under non-conventional methods because obviously he took over from Yeltsin mm. who I guess he himself had uh, reached a point of incompetency uh, mm. due to a number of different reasons and uh, but the whole area uh, can we just can we just yeah. define because it's so important I think people understand yeah. what, what you're saying mm. so the reason this film which is continuously available on BBC iPlayer and like Howard I couldn't recommend it enough the the, the term hypernormalization means that the evidence of your eyes and your ears is completely counter to uh, the the, the narrative that you are being told through your televisions through your radios through popular culture way way before Donald Trump coined fake news hypernormalization but I guess the uh, the the Trump uh, caucus that's yeah. a lot of ce- hypernormalization is a lot of syllables for a Trump fan. <laughs> and, so, and, yeah. and it's also important to to talk about another. Uh, you know, I mean, the first time I actually ever learned about any of this was in when Charlie was doing <clears throat> screen wipe, and, and Adam Curtis had a drop in mm. uh, in it, and it talked about this um, the idea of non-linear warfare, mm. and, and this is a Russian military doctrine which basically says that the the, the most effective tool in modern warfare is to create mass doubt. Because doubt creates the, uh, you don't need to, and this is really important, you don't need to convince people Mm. that they're wrong, but you just need to um, insert an element of doubt in order to make opposition to a certain point of view extremely difficult. Weapons of mass destruction. Right, exactly. Worked fucking wonders. I mean, absolutely. And I think the thing is that... Well, even the term insurgent works wonders as well because that's how you circumvent the Geneva Convention. And and, and we're there again, right? Because now we're talking about a terrorist state uh, and, and, you know, anyone who's got any sort of interest in, you know, modern history will understand that it's all a matter of perspective, right? One man's terror is another man's freedom fighter. And as, you know, Howard and Dane were both saying, a lot of people, particularly someone who I listen to a lot, Fiona Hill, who is a former national security advisor for three different uh, American uh, presidents. She's nonpartisan. She specializes in looking at um, uh, the the Baltic states, um, Russia um, uh, in particular. And her, her viewpoint is that as Dane was saying, in 2014, there was an annexation of Crimea uh, and also part of Ukraine to to enable them to take Sevastopol, which is the deep water port in, in Ukraine where the Russian fleet, their navy, can expand their power from. Uh, and, you know, geography and politics is very, very important to sort of interlink, you know. Mm. Um, in 2014, um, Blair really sort of put his hand around Putin and said, look, um, let's not focus on the Crimea because we've got to fight Islamic extremism. Uh, And at that time, uh, Fiona uh, 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 Hill posits, what began was a sort of acceptance of a different type of normality. She um, uh, believes that in COVID, during the pandemic, Putin was absolutely terrified about his own legacy as well. Yeah. You've got to remember, this man has been in power for over 20 years. Mm. And in fact, last time we were on the podcast, we talked about the idea of the sort of fragility of democracy, right? Mm. Because of these four-year election cycles. Whereas in China, you know, they, they sit for 10 years. Mm. Uh, you know, Putin, as I said, you know, has been, been in, in power for over 20. Um, and so you're looking at a plan that really has its roots in, you know, the idea of an expansion of the the, the Russian-speaking peoples way beyond the boundaries of the Soviet Union, really back towards sort of the Tsarist empires in the 16th and 17th yeah. century. Which I think he's stated he wants to kind of yeah. go back to, in, not so, in so many uncertain terms. But, but actually not even in that uncertain. I mean, he's made some sort of very broad, overarching statements. The problem is, a lot of the time, you know, if you're, for instance, like my parents, and you, you sort of listen to the Today program religiously, yeah. you very rarely get sort of... Such 
such a sort of expansive look into what's taking place because it's yeah. all it's all event based, right? Yeah. So just just yeah. on this part of it uh, uh, quickly, the, the the reason that. Um, uh, you know, we were talking before about the Adam Curtis dropping on Charlie Brooker's show, was because what he was talking about was the fact that nonlinear warfare demands that, you know, billions of pounds, rubles, uh, and dollars are spent spreading disinformation. So even though there was never a link made directly between the Trump campaign mm. and Russia, it's undeniable that what the um, uh, Russian sort of bot armies and the sort of uh, huge uh, sort of targeted advertising was doing was trying to uh, disorientate and create confusion within relatively homogenous groups. Mm. So what they do, for instance, in somewhere like um, Arizona, was they would actually spend money to push up uh, onto your feed far-right sort of neo-Nazi stuff while simultaneously also pushing Black Lives Matter groups. Mm. Yeah. And that's the and, point. And, 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 in, and in, in extreme narratives specifically to present a... Uh, a more of a, a caricatured version of that ideology. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Just, just to drive that diametric opposition between those two uh, it, Exactly. And, and the thing is that we are living in a time where, and I think this is, all, this is absolutely anecdotal, right? I don't have any sort of hard data on this, but I believe that our generation hmm. and the, the you know, generations below us are uniquely uh, ill-adapted for the concept of real conflict. Mm. And what by real conflict, what we're talking about is not asymmetrical warfare, which is pretty much what's been going on since the Second World War. Asymmetrical warfare basically means I've got big fucking tanks and guns and the other side have rocks and suicide bombers and nothing like the same kind of ordinance. You know, it's like, I, I don't know if it was Ramesh or someone, you know, tweeted this a while ago saying, you know, or maybe it was even Ash Sarkar saying, you know, in France, if everything that happened with Partygate had happened, there'd be riots on the streets. Yeah. In the UK, we just wait for Marina Hyde to publish her next column and go, yeah, suck it, you bastards. Yeah. I shared it with my mum. You know, it's a weird light world yeah. that we're living in right now. We've had, we've, we've had such a long time of, like, no conflict is that, you know, we've, uh, yeah, almost been indoctrinated to the point whereby we see, like, that as defiance. Totally. And, um, you know, I guess, well... France has a lot more of a revolutionary history in terms of deposing or like yeah. uh, 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 addressing cronyism, whereas here, you know, it's platinum jubilee. So, hundred <laughs> percent. And the thing is that I, you know, I'm, uh, which is weird because we also are so outspoken in terms of how you describe England. Yeah, so outspoken yeah. about our. Mm. Um, collective intelligence and our enlightenment so far as like you know moving away from uh, Judeo-Christian fundamentalism like America and being a lot more secular and, and somewhat irreligious and yet we're one of the only people that tend to celebrate a uh, function in monarchy yeah. over most other European nations. Um, we're also we're also if you look at it from if you zoom out from the UK and you really look at what Britain is, it has two main industries, right? It has financial services yep. and the arms industry. Pretty, uh, the, pretty much. Yeah, and the arms industry it's really important to understand that actually right now in 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 2022 as someone who has for years tried to highlight, for instance, what BAE Systems or uh, Lockheed Martin have done in the UK, which, for instance, is if I'm making a plane, I will break up the supply chain to make sure that um, there are, I think, 654 seats in Parliament, and I will make sure that a piece of that supply chain is making, say, 3,000 jobs in one constituency, 4,000 in another 2000. So I'm literally saying I'll make the nuts here, the bolts there. And that means that it's extremely difficult for MPs to actually stand against these issues because and, they and collectively create large yeah, and, collectively, and collectively regulate. Yeah. Which is, which in itself is, uh, I guess, approaching diseconomies of scale because of automation. Yeah. And, 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 but the thing is that at the moment, this is also the flip of it is, and this is what I think people can't get their heads around yet. What has happened in the last two weeks marks a period of time that really started uh, with the with breaking down of the Berlin Wall yeah. and is now over. And that is 
catastrophic for all of our lives. And it, I don't want to, uh, I'm not trying to sort of fear monger here, but I do think that inevitably this conflict that we're now watching, which ultimately is becoming a proxy war mm. where the Russians will be fighting in Ukraine against Ukrainian nationals and possibly people that come to fight, you yeah. know, people of conscience. Obviously, there's already talk that if you are a British serviceman and you go to Ukraine to fight, that you will you will not just face court martial, but you will face corporal punishment because sorry, not corporal punishment, not death, but like actual mm. serious sanction. Because if a British combatant, if a NATO combatant is seen to be in the theatre of war, it's, it's an invasion. a declaration. Yes, yeah, it's, it's declaration right? of war. Yeah, but it's bullshit, right? Because we're already supplying weapons that take down we also already tanks. Have, we also have a, already have a proxy war in Syria. Right. And well, this is really important, this Syrian point. So in 2014, when the Syrian conflict started, Ed Miliband in Parliament uh, and Hillary Benn, who had like his moment, it was Tony Benn's yeah, son, yeah. Um, made a fierce case for not involving Britain in another war in the Middle East. Now, as someone who went to every single anti-Iraq war demonstration that was possible. I, I understood why that was taking place. I don't think that was some kind of political grandstanding. But in retrospect, I wish we had gone in. Because I, I'm much closer now with, you know, as we were talking before we started recording, Hassan Akkad, who's a, a Syrian activist, filmmaker. Um, uh, you can watch, uh, you know, his, his quite extraordinary story unfold in the BBC documentary series Exodus, where he filmed his, kind of, his crossings. Um, you know, what we're watching... Um, to unfold in places like Mariupol, where again at the time of recording, there's just been a you know the bombing of a, a maternity hospital, um, which is a war crime, um, is exactly what they did in Aleppo. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what they did you know throughout Syria, which is to fucking level cities and and have absolutely zero you know compunction to worry about the the the, the people who die as a result. Now you could see there's. There's a population of 44 million people in Ukraine. You could easily see it get to up to 2 million people, I think. Yeah. But we will go in at some point. Oh, yeah, it yeah. Is, it's like whether we're drawn into it, um, uh, you know, or, or, or we want to go in it. And the problem is that, you know, I see people like Owen Jones on Twitter, you know, various other people decrying people like James O'Brien on LBC for simply discussing exactly what we're discussing now, which is, is this a third world war? And they're, they're, they say immediately... Well, third world war leads to nuclear Armageddon straight away, nah. right? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. that it does or it doesn't, right? Like, I'm not, you know, again, Fiona Hill is very clear where she says that don't think that just because there's a rational basis for why Putin wouldn't do something, i.e. launch nuclear weapons at a Western state, that he just won't do it, right? Like, yeah. don't. So I'm, I'm, I know far less than she does. But I think what is inevitable is that what we're now watching is a recalibration of all the norms that we fought. So, for instance, 44% yeah. of the world's wheat was created in um, Ukraine. That is a staggering amount, right? Yeah. And we've already seen, you know, as I was saying earlier, there is a, you know, we've got an issue with, with where do we get our gas from? Yeah. And it particularly affects America mm. because they are so, I mean, it's not that bad in London, you get the tube, but you know, there are places in England, obviously, that are drastically affected yeah, by yeah, it. Definitely depend um, on it in America. But it's, but, but we are, we are reaching a sort of event horizon moment. You know, we really are walking into a new reality. So for someone who I think I'm considered generally to be culturally on the left, you know, I am not going to, you know, my my great great grandparents, um, you know, came from Latvia. They escaped, um, you know, Nazi Germany. Uh, we're already watching um, a form of appeasement, in as much as we are saying quite clearly, look, we do not want to irritate this man mm -hmm. to the point where it's an act of war. But this is a utterly belligerent dictatorship that is not only prepared to crush the Russian economy, but is narrative. I mean, he rose to power after crushing the Russian yeah. economy. That's how oligarchs kind of rose into power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, very few people and former KGP people had free reign over access to the country's resources and were then able to export those at communist prices and realize their wealth in the first place. And once uh, Putin returned to power, he was like, all right, I'm going to let you keep that money. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take back the fields and the gas pipelines and stuff mm. so you can keep these billions, but 
I may call you when I need you. Well, he took half, remember? Yeah. So what happened was really, I can't remember the name, it, it, one of the largest oligarchs was essentially put in a cage, yeah. a literal cage on a show trial. Um, and basically, all the other oligarchs then got in contact saying, you know, what do we have to basically do? And he was like, I want half. Yeah, well, half, yeah. It's like an Eddie Murphy sketch. Yeah. Half. half. <laughs> I mean, like, is there some way we can offer you some stock? Half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's bonds that we can... Half. <laughs> I will take. And that's, and that's the reality is that... Like, I will call on you if I need you. It yeah, might yeah. not be today or tomorrow, <laughs> but one day I will need a favour from you. And again, you know, today is the day that, you know, Chelsea Football Club has, has long bit feared, which is that, you know, there's been now sanction of Roman Abramovich in the UK. And I thought it was really interesting how many people um, on Twitter, because um, I'm a Spurs fan, but I'm not like massively vocal about football on Twitter. Yeah. Um, were like, how can this possibly happen? The two are probably happening? linked, just to let you know, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, but the thing is that, you know, sports washing and the cultural entities with which the this sort of dirty Russian money has sort of flooded into the UK. I mean, it changed the whole face of football, really. Totally. Because I mean, once, once, Olig- once Oligarch, like after Abramovich, then it became like a point of vanity almost for oligarchs and other wealthy elite to have a football team just to be and beyond the and beyond the, yeah. the, the kind of the, the, the scale of the business the football have yeah, so the Qataris own Man City yeah. the Saudis have bought Newcastle yeah. half of America owns half of the other clubs yeah yeah, yeah. I mean totally and the thing is that it's very difficult because I think a lot of people um, completely understandably have gone into exactly what you were saying earlier Howard, mm. which is a position of fear and mm. as you know they say in the fantastic movie Dune, you know, fear is the mind killer, Mm. right? It ends all forms of rationality. It's very difficult to... To think when fight or flight is is you know flooding yeah. up, but when all that adrenaline is, sort of I mean, pumping it's around. it's the, it's the way that uh, we facilitate the oppression of the proletariat, anyway, to right. get them afraid. But yeah. the thing is, our generation literally wants to answer this issue with memes. Yeah. Well, and, you know? and, and and I, I do think that it is a crucial time, and now we're put in a position where what? First of all, what are you going to do about it? Well, right. as, as an individual. You know, arguably nothing that will make a difference to the people who are going to make the decisions. Well, that I've got, will I've got some, some but stuff yeah, that's to tell you about one. That. That's yeah, one yeah, interesting yeah. conundrum that sure. throws out to people. I also think it comes back to a thing that me and Dane, ah, hundreds of episodes in now, it's like okay, like I'm going to tell you that I do not agree with Vladimir Putin, and I would say this ain't a good guy, right? That's like not a controversial opinion. But are you saying that we're the good guys? Right. I've got plenty of data to suggest that isn't the case. What what is the thing about like conflict previously is that like human beings and how they are culturally, uh, I guess, educated about. um... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Conflict is mm. that they see it in a very binary and uh, almost kind of like this quasi-moralistic way mm. where you have your white hats and your black hats. What you would think we'd have learned from a world war is that like it's a lot more blurred those lines there. And I think now... Post uh, World War Two, where we've seen the introduction of consumerism and uh, globalization, as well as like global capitalism, it's very hard to uh, identify clear belligerence if their money and therefore influence has been able to travel across borders for like the better part of three generations. Mm. So now we're at a point now where, like you said, um, I mean, social consciousness and upheaval has been reduced to memes, which has probably been facilitated by the cyber warfare undertaken mm. by you know uh, Russia and other nations. Um, and us, and, yeah, and, you know, and, I mean, and us as well, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, I mean, the whole capitalism thing was was is us really like yeah. buying stuff, and you know, I mean, I myself personally became suspicious when we started recycling or rehashing 
war maxims like keep calm and carry on. Yeah. Like, why are you telling me to keep calm? What are you guys up to? It's, it's so important what Howard's saying, though, because I, I, I really want to unpack a couple of things. Mm. Here. Mm-hmm. So, okay, absolutely, there's blood on our hands, right? There's, mm. there's no doubt. And and anyone who has studied, um, you know, there's a brilliant book if if you want to look if you want to look it up um, by by called William Bloom, who was a former CIA analyst, called um, uh, American Military Intervention Since the Second World War. It, it blew my mind because you know you open the front cover, you look in the index, and pretty much from 1948 onwards, you know, Greece was the first country mm. yeah. whose election they tried to go into Guatemala, Haiti, Operation Gladio, exactly, and, and you know yeah. the list goes on and on. Pretty and much all of Central America, exactly, all of Central and South America. You know, yeah. realities of election rigging actually working under the my under home, the my bonnet. home, my home country of Grenada was invaded in 1982 because yeah. of fears of uh, communist and socialist I wrote, uh, influence. My dissertation at uni was why, uh, how America caused 9-11 and basically right. it's that index that you're talking about. I mean, exactly. And, 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 you know, similarly, you know, when I was at Sussex, you know, my dissertations were all on, on you know, uh, you know, uh, Islamic extremism and, and the war on terror and you trace it back and, you know, Russia was basically brought into Afghanistan in the same way that America was pulled into Vietnam by the Russians to mm. sort of give them a bloody nose and we basically spent a lot of money um, trying to enable something called Mac, which was basically essentially kind of like Facebook for Islamic extremists to connect all around the world to and give that, them the and opportunity. That, and that became Al-Qaeda, which yeah, means Al-Qaeda, database. Which means base, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, and I think that, you know, it would be silly um, in any way to sort of put some sort of moral hierarchy um, on nation states. However, however, the whataboutery at the moment serves two purposes. So the first is this. It's absolutely right to call out the selective sympathy in the media, right? I find it absolutely bizarre that you can't describe a column of people moving through the Ukraine on trains without saying, oh, this is like Iraq or this is like an African country. It doesn't matter. It's just a group of human beings fleeing for their lives from war. And that absolutely necessarily was called out particularly well by Trevor Noah, I think, you know, on The Daily Show. Um, But also, you know, it's also important to say that, for instance... And sorry to cut you there, but... Yeah, yeah. Because you can comment on that as well, because what... I mean, the the amorality of quantifying people's humanity based on how they're moving or what region they're moving from or seeking refuge from is one thing. But to juxtapose that with the lack of awareness from media institutions about how how recently Western Europe was involved in large-scale conflict. I know, it's wild, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, like the Yugoslav war was happening when Friends was out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was not, it's not that Rachel, long ago. People were still rocking Rachel's yeah, haircut. Like, yeah, like the Spice Girls were out <laughs> when Albania and Kosovo were breaking up. And so it's like, do how 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 it's not been how that selective long. is your memory? How, yeah, totally. how selective is your? But yeah. also, but you know, on the, on I think one of the core ones, you know, which is you know the issues between you know Israel and Palestine. Um, you know, I think it's undeniable that you know Western complicity in essentially creating an apartheid state where you have you know literally roads running through the occupied territories that are like motorways, and you look down, and it is essentially a third world country that has been starved of all resources, starved of ability to connect to their own ports. You know, all sorts of legitimacy taken away from anyone they elect. And I'm in no way in this podcast saying Hamas are great guys but ultimately like you're looking at chicken, chicken and egg but you're, exactly you're looking at these situations now this is my point these are all absolutely relevant to, to, to look at but you've got to ask yourself at what point you, you decide to directly deal with the matter at hand and I'm not saying these wars aren't going on right now I'm not saying any of that what I am saying is it's a new thing for a thermonuclear power to be attacking with armaments that are, you know, extremely sophisticated and arguably as sophisticated as Western technology, although what seems to have happened with this, you know, 40-mile column of armour that was moving towards Kiev is that a lot of it's in really bad shape mm, and yeah. there's so and much corruption. They really didn't work out the supply situation. No, they really the, Not to laugh at the Russians, but I'm going to laugh at you. <laughs> yeah, 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 really yeah. sort your food out when you're yeah, going on these yeah. wars. No, you like, can laugh, wild, you should, you should laugh at them because, like, you know, we've all seen this before this all precipitated into them attempting to try and have a functional conflict. Like mm. I said, with the rise of oligarchs, we saw how resources were being taken yeah, out, even yeah. resources that are to, meant to, you know, feed into, uh, you know, the military yeah, industrial so complex right. there. Mm. Not only that, like, you've seen the film, um, 
uh, Lord of War with yeah totally yeah, Nicholas exactly Cage. That. he's like we could get loads of shit from Russia when the Soviet bloc ended there so mm. there's obviously been somebody's been selling this stuff at the back so of, much yeah corruption. like these missiles and these MiGs have fallen off the back of a, of a lorry mm. yeah. so in terms of military ordnance there's been yeah some of the corruption but has also, meant that yeah nobody ever says maintained. to Putin you're not great no exactly <laughs> yeah. not, so he's never gonna you know he's never gonna has anyone got any better missiles than us no they're great but they're this is this is the core yeah. point right which is that we are now facing the, the genuine possibility of war with Russia and war with Russia is and I think this is the thing it it can't, I think also because I'm a, I'm you know, I'm 40 years old. A lot of my friends have had kids in the last three or four years. Um, it, they're so terrified yeah. about their kids' futures, and 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 I and I understand that. You know, I have huge sympathy with it. But the way to deal with it is not just to stick on the like last series of Love Island. Yeah, that it's not to sort of like just talk about or have you know the festivals you're going to do in the yeah, summer. This kind of distraction, right? it, or yeah, it, we, you're just you're just that. you're just putting yourself in a position where you are making the cognitive dissonance in your own life between what is coming and where you are now yeah. so much more and difficult to, to comprehend. Well, is that like a lot of the time, even our expression of how we perceive our reality, a lot of people don't understand the way we contextualize our views, whether they are socio-political. These are all post-war ideologies that arose out of people who had seen such humanitarian crises taking place over the course of this conflict. So they're like, there's not going to be no situation where I've gone and fought for England and come back and I don't have access to healthcare. That's why we have an NHS. So yeah. over the last couple of years where we've seen this being eroded and people haven't reacted in a way, they shouldn't be surprised that we're beginning to progress to the point whereby, you know, the hegemonies of the world are now getting close to conflict again. Yeah. Because conversations, demonstrations, protests took place on the basis that there would be no thermonuclear war because it would lead to mutually assured destruction. There can be a universal healthcare system because the people that have fought these wars have suffered so massively that you're going to provide this or you will be replaced. We are no longer going to be fine with the idea that elites send us to kill each other and ourselves on the basis of maintaining their centralised power. And we've arrived at a point whereby, because we've had what we perceive to be some access to wealth in, in the form of consumerism, that we've allowed these things to take place and we've allowed for a lot of these conflicts to be stoked or continue in our name in a way as, as uh, Jolian has said that like we've provided arms and torture implements to more despotic nations knowing full well that the men that we have indulged have always had the capacity to be tyrannical on a uh, domestic level yeah. so to now see that happening globally shouldn't really surprise I mean, us it's because really know, important yeah. this point I mean we sell arms to 8 out of the 10 uh, regimes on our own human rights watch list. Tony Blair's right. out there as well doing the brokering and the handshaking and Man, stuff. Man, Prince Charles is out there in traditional Saudi garb, you know, with swords in the air, yeah. with these hyper-misogynistic tyrants yeah, being like, actually selling this, weapons. Being like, that this was, stuff melts off their skin <laughs> first. You know, until, until, you know, Prince Andrew just got bought off by his own fucking mum, right? He was, his main role was to bo go basically go around the world at arms fair saying, I'm, I'm I'm the uh, I'm the Queen's uh, uh, your second son. Uh, uh, it's not that bad, guys. Uh, you buy our arms, you know, and it had royal seal of approval. However, and this is where we bring it right back. Would you prefer to live in the completely flawed, fucked up reality of Britain, or would you like to live under Putin's Russia? Right, because that is where we're at. Right, we, it's, it's pointless to deny that reality. Alexei Navalny who is probably the only real hope for, you know, Russian democracy. He tried to poison him twice. He's currently in a prison camp in Siberia, right? We are recording a podcast in the UK. I have absolutely no doubt none of us will catch any flack from this, apart from a couple of trolls on Twitter. We're certainly not going to be sanctioned legally or our families' lives put in danger for expressing our own opinions. When, when Pussycat Dolls went up, not Pussycat Dolls, so oh, Pussy, Pussy Riot, Riot yeah. went and actually spoke in a sort of, you know, intensely political move, uh, you know, by, by performing... You know, in a Russian um, Orthodox church, you know, they were put into prison. Putin's enemies are often, I mean, quite recently, two years ago, his name escapes me, shot in the head in Red Square, right? This is not, not the mention, same not regime. Not to mention the extrajudicial killings we've seen on British soil. Right. So, you so know, why Salisbury are we surprised poisoning. Salisbury poisoning and totally. Novichok? You know, is it, uh, it uh, Andrei Lenchenko? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crawled into a duffel bag and killed himself? Uh, this is what I mean. And, and the thing is that I, what, I've, what really fucks me off at the moment on Twitter is I sort of go, Jesus Christ, these people are so naive. Because the, I am glad that we live in a country where we can 
expressed dissent. And I believe that our generation is leading, the, really the podcast generation, right? Yeah. Of saying, look, alternative media is, is valid. You know, you get to a point by the time that we're all 60, where our political persuasions are going to be far more liberal than they have ever been in the history of this country. Our democracy is massively flawed. And we could talk about first past the post. We did that last time, didn't yeah, we? Yeah. We talked about the whole situation. Mm. Of course, there are serious issues. However, we do not live in tyrannical dictatorship. And to equate... Russian culture currently under Putin to British culture in the realities and, and you know, post-Brexit world is both grossly offensive and deeply naive. So if it comes to a fucking toe-for-toe where you're going, which side do you pick? And I, I'm sorry, but I, I'm really starting to feel like, you know, that is not impossible anymore. You know, mm. it only takes, just because I want to clarify this for people, there are 44 signatories of the NATO, or, or, no, I believe actually 44 signatories within NATO. If one Russian boot goes onto the soil of one signatory, then Article 8 of the of, of, of the NATO treaty states that all an attack on one all of us. is an attack on all, yeah, yeah. right? And, and the thing is, you've got to ask yourself, how are you mentally preparing yourself for this coming reality? Because let's hope... And this is fucked to say it like this. Really fucked you, up. You, you, you need to understand I'm more than receptive to what you're saying. No, I know, man. And, I, and I've never... And, and not... I mean, I'll be honest. There's probably an element of me, maybe as a comic, and there's probably an element of nihilism uh, and, yeah. and schadenfreude where I'm kind of like... I mean, this it's is what been coming. We, we be, and you know, on the subject of the treatment of sub-Saharan Africans and Arabs and non-white people with, throughout this conflict, really, for me, speaks to the fact that I'm like, the behavior of these people doesn't surprise me. No, sure. So, uh, so, so, World War Three is not off the table as far as I'm aware. But white supremacy has been so. I mean, not just in the media and in the treatment of you know, um, you know, black Africans, particularly in Ukraine. You know, the, the abundant racism they faced in terms of leaving the the country. We've already talked about the selective sympathy for say, you know, a Ukrainian refugee yeah. versus a Syrian or a, a Palestinian one. But the, but the point is that you know I. I, don't, I take no pleasure in saying that I hope the conflict is contained within the Ukraine. Yeah. Right? Mm. And I, re I really do. Because, one, I really don't think we're ready. And a lot of analysts say that the reason that Putin has taken this moment, this opportunity to uh, make his move, is because the West is more fractured than it's ever been. And yeah. you only need to look at Tucker Carlson or Donald Trump, or most of Fox News output, to understand that Rupert Murdoch's biggest American media supplier is constantly stating that Russia actually has a point, that actually it's not that bad that they've gone into Ukraine, that it's fair enough, and that actually they should be supported. We have an election in America in 2024, and it's quite likely that Donald Trump will retake the White House. You, you know, People are, we are really on the crest of an entire new reality. And, you know, I'm certainly not ready for it, but I fear a lot for my Love yeah. Island crew. You know, yeah. I, I yeah. genuinely do. I mean, they're already teetering on the edge as it is just from the isolation of two years in a pandemic. And, uh, yeah, I don't think we're ready. But I think that's the thing, is that a large part of the level of escalation in this conflict has been facilitated by our relative, indi relative indifference in the West. People are so scared of actually saying, fuck, what does this mean? Yeah. And, and quantifying like how they can deal with it. So on that point about how you can deal with it, please follow uh, Help Refugees, which is Choose Love. Yep, yep. They have um, a huge um, uh, amount of information on their website about, one, how you can donate anything from sleeping bags to sanitary products, um, you know, to warm clothes, or... They can help you get to places, for instance, in Poland, where there is a huge flood of people. And at the moment, a good friend of mine, Alice Aides, photographer who's literally just come back, said, you know, imagine like the Tesco's at Brent Cross, you know, one of those mega Tesco's. And the entire thing, every aisle is just people in sleeping bags and they're desperate for manpower. And people are going and doing this. There is stuff actively you can do. Um, and, you know, something I have huge faith in is, um, is, is, you know, I don't, I need, you know, Brexit, whatever, but like, I do have faith in the British public. Hmm. I do believe that we rise to the challenge when it comes to I think, I think, I think, I think most people um, will can reclaim their humanitarian faculties if we try to just migrate some of these conversations away from social media and outside the lens of capitalist interests. And, you know, 
I, 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 the example being in terms of Brexit, I had a lot of trepidation about doing a national tour. Yeah, yeah. But I found that most people were quite moderate in their views, and like you know, you don't really see people mm. sitting at really extreme ends of the political spectrum. And if they are, those kind of people aren't the kind of people that go to comedy shows or really How are patrons of anything. How you it like recently, like in the last couple of weeks? To be honest, myself personally, um, Julian, I'm my narrative is kind of we have a lot of similarities. So for me, like there's no real rebuttal or reaction. <laughs> that I think is going to be any more grave or any more significant than the narrative like of, from people like yourself who are actually talking about what's happening yeah, yeah, yeah. and trying to, you know, give people, you know, a sense of foreboding to yeah, kind yeah. of prevent this from happening. The, the thing I was going to throw up as we kind of reach towards the kind of end of this show is is to think about if... And I, I, agree, I agree with you, mate. I, I'm not here to support Putin. Oh, of course, right. Of course. But... What do I stand for? Yeah. Well, that's a really good question. And that is, and we're, and we'll throw that open to you guys for this final so bit for of the me, show. Howard, this is, so this is my theory that every, everything has been is said has been valid. And so, as I've said to you before, and we've discussed many times, Howard, I truly believe if we are on the cusp of another global scale conflict, what will be the after effect of that, should we survive, will be a redrafting of our socio-political structure. Mm. The left and the right wings, those have emerged post-World War II, mm. but they may not be enough to really quantify the disposition of humanity following another large-scale conflict. Mm. Like, you know, there's other elements of our reality now that we will have to take into account when we begin to form our political or ideological views. Mm. Like, wherever you sit on the bipartisan political spectrum, the ecological state of the planet can't mm. be ignored by either side. No. And this ongoing dissonance about that is not going to be a point. If we are at a point where people have access to thermonuclear weapons, then our air and water and our land will be affected by that. And how we are able to maintain or hold on to life as sentient beings will be affected by that and will be a part of our discussion. In the very same way, there are no parts of the world whereby people have a whole complete unanimous political ideology unless they are living under tyranny or dictatorship. Mm that level of autocracy will have to be addressed as well. And, uh, yeah, even our understandings yeah. of democracy, even within a Western democracy, we have systems which aren't actually efficient and in themselves don't actually allow for a whole true, true um, democratic process. Because I can tell you for free, anywhere I've seen democracy being purported as the prevailing uh, political system, you'll have, you have aristocracy. Mm. You're never going to have democracy without aristocracy because the etymology of the word is mob rule. Mm. And at some point, someone's like, we can't all have a say, so we elect constituents and representatives to purport our views. The process in which that happens is going to have to be redressed. Yeah, you're totally and so, right. And I think as well, like, let's, let's, let's reel it back a little bit. So we all hope here... No one is sitting here as a war hawk, sort of like banging the drum for war. I think there are real concerns that people have about uh, what appeasement means on a broader scale. Um, and I think that they're valid. But I also think that even if the conflict stays totally contained in the Ukraine, the economic levers that have been pulled, which probably won't, we really probably won't start feeling for another three or four months, you know, will have seismic effects on society. You know, President Zelensky was a satirist. Mm. You know, he was someone who was standing up and he, you know, you can see the videos. He said some pretty abhorrent things in his stand-up, things about Jewish people, things about gay people, you know, things about, you know, the realities of um, uh, uh, being a sort of American client state. Um, certainly not perfect in any way. But it is interesting to me that the moral leadership that seems to have sort of been uh, imbued by someone essentially standing up to a bully um, is something that I think is going to echo through our society as well. Yeah. Because the, the sort of level of political leadership from the centre-left for years has been pathetically thin. Yeah. In fact, we've all avoided it. You know, I've been asked twice to run for political parties and said no. And it's the first time recently I thought, you know what, this is so fucked up. You know, we've got to start... You know, it's starting to be like, you know, we've got to start talking because, you know, Keith, 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 Keith Starmer, right backing, basically hiding in, in the sort of, you know, the robes of Pretty Patel, in sort of saying very salient things, but not actually calling for massive change to the immigration policy, you know, because of the radicalization of the British population by people like Nigel Farage dragging constantly the idea that, you know, I mean, it was only last summer that there were literally people coming over here in boats and reporters on boats going, where are you from? Yeah. Where are you from? Like animals in a zoo, 
right? And and the thing is, I believe that there is a there is some sort of cracking of that orthodoxy that's taking place where people are going, oh my God, a refugee isn't just a brown person. It's someone who is actually fleeing a war. And yeah, and you know and it's it's weird how the how we were able to move away from that perception and, yeah. and make make being a black or brown economic migrant or refugee so or, or conflate mm. that whole thing together. So, and as, and as yeah. we talked about a lot during the Black Lives Matter, sort of after the lynching of George Floyd, you know, like there is, you know, there is undoubt, there is, it's undoubted that, you know, racism lies at, at a lot of the core of inaction on certain issues. Yeah. When Howard says, like, who are, what do we stand for? I think we stand for very simple things, right? Free healthcare, right? Yeah. Uni- like universal human rights, meaning every human being. And a, a sort of a reality where... There has got to be some kind of acknowledgement that the capitalist system is just zeros and ones. And actually, you can delete a lot of zeros and ones. You can enter it, as we talked about last time Mm. on the podcast. You know, a tree is an oxygen provider, right? At the minute, it's only value is when it's chopped down, right? Mm. It's not like it doesn't have a value of, of, you know, being, for instance, the Amazon, the biggest carbon sink, you know, in the world. Or, you know, a clean ocean, again, as a carbon sink. There are radical things that, that could take place. But in the short term, I, I really believe that, if, and I believe, look, I think I'm a pacifist really, right? Like that's, that I've always advocated for resistance to oppression, essentially. Mm-hmm. But we're now getting to a point where, you know, I, I, can, I can see myself already starting to feel a sort of a necessary cognitive leap towards active protection of people rather than simple passivism because of what you're facing. And Mm. that, in a way, ties right back to this whole, you know, George Orwell, the lion and the unicorn. If you just go online, by the way, if you just Google Orwell plus lion and the unicorn, you can just read the essay. It's all all free. Um, It's very instructive because this conversation has been had in our society, you know, many times before because, you know, believe it or not, at the dawn of the Second World War, a vast majority of the population didn't want to believe it, didn't want to think this is what's going on. Yeah, yeah. You know, but... Well, even when people reflect on, you know, the Holocaust, a lot of people don't understand that it it went on... It was able to carry on because people were like, they wouldn't be doing that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's that was people's attitudes towards it mm-hmm. initially mm-hmm. taking place, including Winston Churchill took quite a safe fair approach. Well, I mean, even, I mean there's, there's a lot of evidence that even when they did come aware of it, they didn't really think of fuck until someone actually got a camera inside Belson yeah. and a camera inside Auschwitz, and the pictures were so horrific that they simply had to act. And this is the problem at the minute with Boris Johnson and with the the, the Conservative government is, you know, I find it remarkable, and I'm going to applaud them actually for supplying battlefield weapons. Uh, it's very rare. I, 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 <laughs> I sell it. Stuck in your throat the a little bit there. Oh, no, that being said, sure. it's like, you know, I mean... The man's... It's, it's still, it's weapons. That's their know, forte. Exactly. It's not, it's, not like they, it's not like they look at the moral thing. It's like, yeah, yeah. looks like an invoice to me. So <laughs> I just, let's do what we do. Those <laughs> things good. It's almost yeah. like when you get freebie from someone of, online. It's more of a broken <laughs> clock is right twice a day kind it's, of thing. It's like when you like sign up to one of those things online, you know it's going to take the money out every month, but yeah, for yeah. the first month it's free. Yeah, but yeah. I think I think that like, you know, what we're, what we're looking at is, you know, a, a, you know, a change in the orthodoxy. And I don't think that, you know, protecting the very strange trifle or, you know, partly, uh, you know, realised version of liberal democracy that we have in this country that Ukraine tried to, you know, emulate. Of course, America was trying to push their self-interest by, you know, expanding NATO into places like, you know, Lithuania, Latvia, and countries, you know, in, in the surrounding region. But, you know, yeah, you, you're probably right. You know, NATO expansion wasn't the best idea. But we are where we fucking are. Yeah. And that is the reality. And I think that people need to kind of, you know, take a very, very deep breath, you know, hold their loved ones, but also say, you know, like, we want to protect what we have. And, you know, it's very strange for me. I was mm. thinking on the way up here, thinking how... How much am I prepared to acknowledge my own feeling that we are now in a different time and I need to adjust my own beliefs to say that I don't, I, don't, I can't see myself um, flying to Ukraine, taking up arms right now, right? I'm too much of a pussy. 
right? But at the same no, time, make you a pussy. No, but you know what I'm saying. Right? I just don't want to. Also, you've had no basic military training. I'm, I'm not really, yeah, not really your skills. Yeah, exactly. Not a good idea. Yeah. Right. But um, it's not what it's not what you're. We didn't put that in your bio. <laughs> that yeah. you had those skills. Good at shooting so. guns. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think that you know these these are uncertain times, and I think. What this whataboutery about it all, about, yeah, but what about over there? It just misses. It means that you can take yourself away from the key, key point, yeah. right? Which is, right now, we are facing something we have never faced. In my, it's certainly in my life. Not my generation, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and this isn't to panic you either. This isn't to sort of set you off. It's to hopefully prepare mentally a bit of the ground so that over the next couple of years, because this is what we're talking about But also, now. at the same time, it's, I, I, obviously I know you don't want to be an alarmist or a fatalist, but at the same time, this is not really about doomsaying. It's people need to understand the relative privilege and peace you have in this country oh. is the result of people having to fight for this and assemble politically in order to facilitate that. So in the same way that you might get a nice car and inherit that in a will, mm. but if you don't take that for an MOT, that car will still be shit. Yeah, yeah, And it's yeah. the same thing. You have to think of like our political and social fabric as being like, you know, a Rolls Royce, but you need to take that in and get it serviced. Otherwise it will depreciate in value and it will eventually like break down and, and that's what we are the point you made before about the NHS you know the only reason that we have things like the National Health Service is because after the Second World War there was a post-war consensus that yeah. we had to rebuild and look after each other yeah. Thatcher and Reagan came in and said greed is good self-maximise don't worry about being greedy don't worry about everyone else and I think that's innately against human instinct you know I think Probably. humans we're collective creatures you know yeah, live you, together really that's, it's fear mongering it's like if you don't do this then you know you are lesser than. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's how we allow for this prevalence of capitalism to happen. I mean, I thought, I think the audience needed to hear what we've talked about this it's week. Tough, right? man. It's tough, man. It's tough. Normal, you know it's not a normal thing. That's why you thing, get me on when there's, a, when there's a no, no, no. huge problem. There's, there's a massive no, crisis. Someone, someone who is, an, who is out, out, very outspoken about um, equality and egalitarianism, yeah. who yourself is worried, fuck that shit. Like, I'm, Jolien, I'm going to say to you as a point of solidarity, fuck that. Don't, if they are scared, you should be fucking scared. Yeah, mm. it's Because scary. that's how people everywhere in the world live. Yeah, if yeah. you live in the West Bank, if you live in fucking Myanmar, if yeah, you, 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 fear is a natural part of your life. Daily so for you to think in a world where human beings and capital are crossing borders, but the shit it comes from was not going to arrive... Malcolm X said, chicken's coming home to roost. Yeah, yeah. And he was maligned by everyone for it, totally. including the Nation of Islam. But it's the same principle again. This shit we do around the world, like selling weapons, to think that's not going to come back and bite you in the ass, then you were naive. So yeah. now it's time to fucking wake up. When you go to fucking festivals or you're in your liberal spaces and you're sniffing coke, yeah. people die. Where, so does, it coke? From, Where does it come from, motherfucker? motherfucker? The same way mm. when you was enjoying polenta and causing hyperinflation <laughs> of the Romanian economy, you lot didn't care. When you're eating avocados and Peru is being fucked over, you didn't care. You know what? We it don't talk enough so about long. polenta, do we? We right. don't talk about polenta yeah. still. Next episode. But, all these, but, all, <laughs> but this is what I mean. It's special. <laughs> but, you know, you live in a world now where you can get fruits that aren't native to this country year round. There has been implications for this shit for years. Yeah. So to suppose that you can continue to enjoy this privilege without having to pay up for it, that's really dissonance. So I, I think it's been great having you on the podcast and oh, provide man. more clarification to this. But my message to everybody is, if just on the basis of opinion is, I'm sorry if you're scared. You should fucking be scared. Yeah. You should be fucking scared. And if you're scared, then you need to act. Because if that's if fear is able to motivate that kind of behavior, you fight or flight. Well, now it's time. You know, don't. You know what what they are saying is, is right. You should be scared, but be proactive. You will get up telling you so much more back from what you do if you you you. And I'll say again: choose love, help refugees. Yeah. That is the organization I personally believe are the most proactive, least connected to the larger government organizations. So connect, you know, in people's interests and get involved. And everyone has to take the position now of being civil servants unto yourselves in that yeah, yeah. don't just make political decisions now that are going to, only going to affect your constituency. Mm. It's, it's much um, it's much bigger than that. 
So it's been a great different episode, eh, Dane? And, uh, it's yeah. tough, isn't it? I bet, bet fucking Dara O'Brien was a bit lighter hearted than this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not necessarily. Dara was having a bit not more. Not necessarily, because his he was asking because um, Dara was just asking about like why we don't like new things, and he makes a very valid point. Got we have deep. experienced a lot of what I would call political and social inertia here, where we're yeah. like, trying to move the thing forward. Oh yeah, my god, that's we so. We could link together almost all so, 150 but episodes. That's so right? interesting, isn't it? Because that is really at the core, at the core of it. You know, we we are so stuck in believing that it's are God-given right to just basically sit and watch Netflix and order a mm-hmm. Deliveroo that the idea that actually that what we saw in those history books might become a reality now and actually, yeah. is it's not a given you well, know? to the, to the listeners from Keep, keep thinking. Keep, quest- keep, keep questioning. Relax. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> keep questioning everything, listeners. That's what that's we're it, here yeah. for. Keep questioning everything. Dave. That's how we come up with new ideas. Yeah, totally. And, and, and that's how and ideology thank you is formed. so much for, for having me on. No, it's always a pleasure, man. Uh, I'm sure I speak for most of us when I say peace. 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 You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBapTweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Jollyon Rubenstein. You can follow Jollyon on Twitter and Instagram at JollyonRubs. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.